This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not bad. Yourself? I don't want to talk about it. Sunday was not <laughs> fun. I didn't enjoy it. Well, I did enjoy it, actually. I enjoyed everything up until kickoff. It was a great atmosphere at Turf Moor. It was not the best football match. And the second half, I don't want to talk about it. Which is probably Fair a bad enough. idea to come on a podcast where we're going to do it. We're exactly just going to skip that. that game, are we? No, we're going to talk about it. You've got to stomach it and fight your way through it. It was but just I, annoying, wasn't it? What I will offer a more impartial view. Break. It was. It was, uh, it was a bit of a bad one, but let's not talk too much about that. Let's, uh, let's get into it properly as we normally do. As always, a reminder to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take card payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And on today's podcast, as always, we'll be dissecting a high-scoring weekend in the division before the World Cup break. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And George, we're going to start with Sunday's East Lancashire Derby. Second versus third going in to the fixture after Sheffield United went top of the table for 24 hours. Burnley v Blackburn, the first time they've met for six years. Massive occasion. And there was only one winner, and that was Burnley. Of course, I was at Turf Moor covering the game for Lanks Live. It was men against boys in reality. First half was quite cagey. Burnley dominated possession, didn't really create anything of note. Two Ashley Barnes headers, which Thomas Kaminsky had to save, which were good saves, but saves you'd probably expect your goalkeeper to make. And apart from that, Blackburn were just set in a low block, trying to frustrate Burnley, and did that without being very ambitious on the ball, uh, without creating anything of note themselves. And then from the moment that Anas Zaruri whipped in an absolutely sublime cross, it needs saying first and foremost, that picked out the head of Ashley Barnes, it was one-way traffic. It opened the floodgates, Blackburn's resistance had been broken and the final half an hour was a true sign of where these two teams are and Burnley are automatic promotion contenders. I think they will go up this season, probably as title winners. I thought even when they were stuck in 5th, 6th and couldn't get the wins because they were drawing too many games, you could just tell that this was a team waiting to click. And I think Burnley were dominant on Sunday. That's a fact. They were fully deserving of their win. That's a fact. And they've been the best team in the league over the last two months. That's non-debatable. And I think they probably are the best team in the division. I think they'll win the league. I think they'll definitely go up automatically and get promoted. And to go into the international break top with all the problems that had to be sorted out in the summer. Vincent Company deserves so much credit. Some of the, the recruitment's been phenomenal to say they lost the spine of their team. They lost Chris Wood, obviously, the previous January, to lose Nick Pope, Ben Mee, Jane Tarkowski. And to bring in relatively unknown quantities by championship level, of course, Taylor Harwood Bellis has played at the level with a couple of loan spells. But Jordan Bayer, who's been playing alongside him at left centre-back, Vitinho. Uh, Anas Zaruri, who the fans absolutely adore and looks quality. Nathan Teller's not exactly... He's not an unknown name in English football, of course. He's on loan from Southampton, but he's not a championship 
We didn't know what his level was at Championship Standard. He was really good when he came on and unlucky not to start. And he's made players better as well. Josh Cullen's obviously come in as well, done really well. He's made Josh Brownhill a goal-scoring threat. Um, and he's improving players. The recruitment was really good in the summer. There's more to come, I think, as well. Scott Twine's not even kicked a ball for them yet. It was probably before a ball was kicked, if you said who's the most exciting signing for Burnley, or even maybe even the Championship as a division, a lot of people would have said Scott Twine. He's not kicked a ball. Burnley's top of the league. And for me, they've got more gears to go in. Yeah, without a doubt. And to start with the game on Sunday, I think your, your assessment, men against boys, I think that's certainly what it was. I watched the vast majority of the game. Um, I was working for some of it at home, so I did miss little bits. But overall, I did watch probably 90% of the overall game. And Burnley were far superior. I thought they carried the greater threat right from the very first whistle. I thought Blackburn were fortunate to go into the break still level. Had it not been for some excellent shot stopping from Thomas Kaminsky, you know, they rode their luck at times, didn't really carry any sort of threat whatsoever. And I think it was it was clear, you know, as soon as Burnley got that first goal, they, they were going to win that game. It was obvious. I didn't think Blackburn, once they went 1-0 down, had got it in them to recover. You know, I, I don't want to sound too critical because Blackburn, they've had a very good season so far. That They're third for a reason. But to me, they just, their performance on Sunday didn't look like a team that would, would be capable of keeping up what they've so far achieved. And obviously, a lot of different factors to, to come into a game against Burnley. Obviously, the, the, the rivalry, the bragging rights up for grabs, not just a normal game. But Burnley, they, they look more equipped for it. They look more, you know, they look more up for it. They look, they, to me, they looked as though they believed that they were going to win that game. Blackburn Black looked burdened. They, they looked did. burdened they, by the occasion. They looked it, sw- it swallowed it. them. It did. It did. It's a very good way to put it. They didn't look, you know, they didn't sort of look ready for it. Burnley did. That was the big difference. And, you know, Vincent Company obviously, uh, you know, experienced a bit of a, a bit of a shock with that defeat at Sheffield United last weekend. Obviously, nobody saw that coming, certainly at the margin of the scoreline. And, you know, it makes you wonder what he said during the week in the build-up to this game. It's probably been a case of just go back to what we've been doing. We, we you know, Blackburn are going to try and do what Sheffield United did, target us at set pieces. Blackburn didn't even really get any set pieces to do that. So, you know, Burnley were never really going to look troubled and they, you know, they didn't really have to get out of second gear, really, did they, to get the job done? They were confident, they were comfortable, and as I say, as soon as that first goal went in, you you knew that it was game over for Blackburn. They never looked like scoring in that game at all, probably barring a five ten minute spell, if that. And even then, they didn't really do an awful lot. So you know, for Vincent Company, it's it's the perfect way to sign off ahead of the World Cup and. I put a post on the on the Twitter page on Sunday evening saying what a fantastic job Vincent Company was doing. You know, just a summary tweet of the game. Burnley will look down on the rest for the next month. And some of the replies caught me by surprise. They were saying, "Yeah, but he's got the best squad. He's it's all right when you've spent all that money." He brought in what was it, fifteen, sixteen new players, maybe more. Sixteen, I think it was in the end. Can you imagine just how difficult it must be to mould that together so quickly in the way that he has? No and you know yeah, exactly this is what I mean Burnley a lot of fans were saying that yeah but he spent millions and millions it's alright when you've got all these players one they had to put it all together like you said pre-season was shortened for what they had you know did they spend millions it. and millions like they did but the net no. spend is and the net spend exactly from what they, what they sold on so I think Vincent Kirtner, and as well as that obviously his first time ever managing in England yeah he played in England had a very successful career in England as a player 
but it's a whole different ball game management. And so far, he's absolutely flourishing. It's not that easy. And he certainly will at Brighton many years ago. That did not go according to plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, Burnley, they will look down on the rest for the next month or so, at the very least. Obviously, they've got that three-point cushion to Sheffield United now. And, you know, we're only two games shy of the halfway point of the season. 21 games boxed off now. Burnley have been the best team. The table doesn't lie. They've only lost two in 21 games. It's, you know, it's, it's a remarkable number, that, for the, for the amount of players that they brought in. So, you know, you look at it. I think Burnley are the team to beat. I really do. They've got so much quality in forward areas. Obviously, they're without Jay Rodriguez at the weekend. Quite an impressive stat that I heard uh, in the commentary on Saturday about Jay Rodriguez, by the way, that in the whole of his career, he's never, ever played against Blackburn Rovers. Did you know that one? I didn't. Yeah, funnily enough, that was one of Gary Weaver's opening lines in the Sky commentary that he's, Jay Rodriguez has never actually played Blackburn. So uh, he would probably gut it to miss that one, considering you know he's Burnley that, through and through. Is it that much of a surprise? He's not played for six years. No, I mean in his career anywhere, like he's never played yeah, against. I suppose you probably Blackburn. would expect him to have played against West Brom yeah. at West Brom. Yeah, maybe, but yeah, he's never played them. So uh, that, I thought that was an interesting one, but might just for me. But you know, for Burnley, a great win. Derby Day spoils in the bag. Top of the league for the World Cup. What more can you ask for? Brilliant start to the season. From a Blackburn Rovers perspective, they were really poor. Let's make, were, make no bones about it. There's no in it. They were poor. The team selection was wrong, in my opinion. Very strange to throw Clinton Moller in for his first championship start. Bearing in mind, for context, he'd not started a game in total until the Wednesday night penalty shootout win at West Ham. So to not start a player for that long, having signed on deadline, deadline day, not up to full speed, which is why he's not been used, but to throw him in on Wednesday and then throw him in on Sunday in quick succession ahead of someone like Scott Wharton, who has a fantastic record playing against uh, playing for Blackburn this season. When he plays, the team plays better. The stats will back that up. He's a Blackburn Rovers fan, an academy product. It 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 was wrong. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Don't want to you know over dwell on the team selection, but it was wrong. Jake Garrett in midfield was thrown in because Sam Smodix got injured on Saturday with his hamstring. Again, the occasion swallowed him. It was too much too soon for a lot of the young team. And the midfield was a major issue. There was no cohesion. There was no bravery on the ball in possession. And I'm a little bit disappointed with Tyler Morton in that sense because I think Jake Garrett, young academy kid, only making his second championship start. The occasion was too big for him. That happens. Lewis Travis, not his game. Tyler Morton is the one that, having played in the San Siro, should be sticking his hand up and taking control of the game when Blackburn certainly went behind. And if anything, they wilted as a team. Not just him, there was plenty of poor performances. But I I was hoping for a little bit more, I have to say. The front players were starved of any sort of service. And of course, 21 games in, there's still no equalising goal. Every time Blackburn have gone behind, they've lost. They haven't. They've generally lost to nil as well, and generally it's been away from home. So ahead, they are ahead of schedule after twenty-one games. But this is probably the worst possible way for Blackburn to go into the World Cup break, given that they've um, lost the derby, and obviously fans are going to stew on it for a month. But positive steps, third in the league, is well ahead of schedule, and um, hopefully not too much to worry about going forward. Wigan Athletic two, Blackpool one. George, we're going to start off the field because last week. Wigan Athletic sacked Liam Richardson after six defeats in seven. Personally, I think this is a terrible decision. Three weeks after giving him a new three-year deal, you've decided to sack him on the first run of poor form. 
in two years when he saved you from relegation, which was a miracle. He got you promoted. And yes, I know in football, there's no room for sentiment. But I don't think he was doing a bad job at Wigan at all. Yes, they were in a sticky spell of form. Of course they were. But I, unless they bring in Neil Critchley, or I can't even think of another name, I think they're more likely to go down without Liam Richardson than they are uh, with him in the helm, personally. He wasn't backed in the summer. They made very little um, headway in terms of transfer recruits. They brought in a few players that were more likely to bolster the squad than the starting eleven. Probably Nathan Broadhead's the only one that's really found a way into the starting team. Pretty much the same eleven from last year, otherwise, apart from that. And yes, they're in poor form, but he'd not lost the dressing room. He got fans that loved him. I just think it's a very bold decision. I think the margin for error to get the next appointment right is so minimal. I don't know. You're going to have to get it spot on because if you don't, the owners of Wigan Athletic are going to get pelters, and rightly so, because. I think they're more likely to go down now than I did before they sacked him personally. On the field, of course, it was a much-needed victory. 2-1 coming late from behind. Down to 10 men were Blackpool um, and Gary Medine obviously put them in front. But then an equaliser and then uh, Nathan Till enjoying giving it to the away fans as he scored and wheeled away in the 88th minute former Blackpool player. So on the field, an important win, but I am baffled by the decision and I think a lot of the Wigan fans were shocked. I think some of them think uh, probably a little bit more short-sighted and, and thinking, well, the form's been poor and they've not been that exciting this season. Yes, they weren't that exciting in promotion from League One last year, but they won a lot of games. And I think they ultimately were more likely to stay up with him in the helm than getting rid of him. I think it's yeah, I a gamble have to agree that with I would that. be I mean, more. You know, my bets won't pay off than with. Every team in the Championship, whether you're new to the division you know, established in the division, coming down into it from the Premier League, experiences a sticky patch at some point. Everybody does. And, you know, I don't think any Wigan fans would feel disrespected when I say this, when the fact that I would, you know, I would argue that this squad is probably one of the weakest in the Championship, for Championship standard, without any shadow of a doubt. And, you know, they started this season really well. They had a strong start, Definitely. especially away Definitely. from home. They were really doing well. Their, away, their home form, obviously, has been, has been a problem. But, you know, they, they weren't in a, a terrible position for, for a newly promoted team. It's not as if they were rock bottom to the league, such as, you know, cut adrift already, sort of 10 points from safety. They had a respectable start for, for what their ambitions are, you would think. So I, I couldn't believe it. It was it was you that told me, you messaged me to say that he'd got the boot. And I saw the notification on my phone. I thought, it must be on the wind-up. There's no way this is true. Obviously it was. And, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head around it. I thought, after all that he's done for that club, and obviously the issues that had gone off off the off the field and the problems that he'd had to deal with there, to do what he did last season, when they were one of the favourites for relegation to League Two, let's not forget the start of the year, it, it, it's remarkable. They stormed their way to the title. So you know, I think it's I think it's a, a a poor move. Time will tell if you know that proves to be correct. We shall see. Obviously, they got off to a winning start of the weekend, but. Nine times out of ten, when a manager moves on, it happens. It's usually that sort of bounce. Yeah, well, maybe, um, but you, you know what I mean. You know, there's always that risk is You know, a manager goes, next game you win, everybody gets excited. So we'll see what happens. But I just thought it was a really, really poor decision from the Wigan from the Wigan owners to to show him the door because after all he's done for the club. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. And the, the, the lack of joined up thinking as exactly. well. You've given him a three year deal two weeks ago. So clearly you don't know what your own strategy is. And there's obviously it's, been reports recently about late payments to players. I'm concerned because I like it's just it's just worries me that mm. if you first when any rumours that a club aren't paying the players on players, that's first alarm bells. And then I think it's wrong to sack him, but if you're going to sack him, don't give him a new contract three weeks early. That what concerns me almost more because there's just you it clearly is. I don't totally know what agree. You want and then. obviously, or on the pitch no on Saturday, so big win. You know that that was what they needed. The last thing they could have done is go into this month long pause without a win in something like eight or nine games or whatever it was. But obviously, now they've got the opportunity to try and get a new boss in as quickly as they can, ideally, allowing him the opportunity, whoever it may be, to get to work with the players on the train ground before the restart. On December 10, it is you know it's a in that sense it's an opportunity for a manager to come in, get to know the players, work with them, implement sort of a style before you know back into the cut and thrust of it. Obviously, the big name everybody's talking about is Neil Critchley. I think he's the one that would make the most sense. You know, he, his stock is still high after what he did at Blackpool. Other names on the list, you know. Well. I suppose it would you get a win probably would be, but I suppose it depends how keen he is to get back into work. Does he still have, you know, having been at Blackpool, does he still have a, you know, does he still have a home in that sort of neck of the woods? I don't know. Obviously, it's quite possible, but, you know, I mean, I'm I'm looking at the bookies list in front of me, and I often say the bookies list means absolutely nothing. It's just a pinch of salt that you analyse then. But I mean, I look at the top four at the minute, and they are Sean Maloney, Neil Critchley, Stephen Gerrard, or Duncan Ferguson. Critchley, Critchley, every day of the week. In fifth at the minute is Rob Edwards. Steven Gerrard, you know, that'd be a good appointment, him, but would he take it on having been at Watford, albeit it didn't last long? But will he think his stock's deserving of a little bit higher? He, I mean, even Steve Bruce and Mick McCarthy are on the list. It's, ne- it's never going to happen. So I think Critchley, on the face of it, would be the best move for, for what they are. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do and how quickly they do it because, you know, as I say, this World Cup break does present an opportunity to try and put things right and hopefully return better. But at the same time, Wigan's players are probably a little bit frustrated that they've got that win and now they've not got the opportunity to build on it for a month. So it's kind of one of those where it's going to work both ways, you possibly feel, for Wigan. But on the pitch, big win, helped by the red card, even though I thought it was questionable, to be fair. I did think it was... A little bit harsh on Marvin Ekpateta. Admittedly, it was high. It was high, but you know there was no real malice in it. I but it was we know stupid. last man, high boot. Chances are you're going to get sent off. So in that sense, it is obviously uh, what has helped Wigan get the win. But you know they have the courage to come back. So credit them for that. They, they show plenty of spirit to get the job done. But for, for you know the decision to sack Liam Richardson, really, really strange one. Go on then. I want to defend Michael Appleton a little bit because he's getting pelters as well from the Blackpool fans. He got a lot of dogs abuse from the away end. Fans are not happy. I don't really understand why because the squad's been decimated with injuries. All these best players have been out for a period or or you know one between one period or another. They lost the best player on deadline day in Josh Bowler. The team were in a false position last year in terms of overachieving under Neil Critchley. Is it is is Blackpool in and around the, the relegation zone, you know, just a couple of points above or just a couple of points in it? Is that not where they should be for the squad they've got, the size of the club and the budget? Yeah, that's exactly where they should be. So, you know, 
they're trying to play entertaining football. They can't say they've not been entertained. They don't play a bad style of football. I don't really understand. I think he's about doing par for the job. And then when you consider the injuries, having your best player taken off your, you know, a day before the, on the day of the window shutting and not replacing him properly, I don't really understand what the massive issue is. Maybe that's just me, and maybe I'm missing the point. Well, Personally, it's I weird think, because I, we've I been talking about Blackpool, haven't we, recently? Saying that the you. form, you know, it's not been bad and they've not really gone anywhere. And all of a sudden, they've slumped to the second bottom, which which is... Go on. No, no, yeah. Oh, another point I wanted to make. The, the, the discipline. Like, you go to Sheffield United, you go, you go, go three to ahead. Your captain gets sent off for a stupid... Uh, for a stupid challenge, then your left back decides to shove the ball into someone. Like what? Just idiotic. Marvin Ekpater again, so good last year. He's not having a great season. You know, he was at fault for the penalty against uh, Preston, where he just pulled down uh, Emil Reese for no reason. Gets sent off against Sheffield United, which was a stupid challenge for a second yellow, and then gets sent off. It was just poor. Go and attack the ball, and he just stood off him. You know, I feel like well, Appleton in some ways it's difficult, isn't it? Because Blackpool his... fans are always going to, as much as you, you know, you'd want to tell them they've got to move on and forget about it. They're always going to draw comparisons to what Neil Critchley did last year. That that is going to be impossible for them to shake off. You know, like I said though, recently we've been saying about how their form has been relatively good, but they've not really gone anywhere, and all of a sudden now they've just they've just suddenly slumped. You know, they've had good results lately. I mean, Horrific. even though the Sheffield United one was dramatic and they should not have blown that lead, if you'd have offered them a point at Bramall Lane, a victory over Watford, a victory over Preston, they'd have taken it. Coventry as well, that when they won 2-1 there. You know, when you think about it, the results haven't been too bad. But all of a sudden, yeah, and they should have beaten Luton, let's not forget, last weekend. They absolutely battered them. It's a miracle that ball didn't go in, uh, go in the net. With half a squad, exactly. You know, the squad's been decimated for the last few weeks. So, With you've got to factor squad. in that. I can understand why they're disappointed. I can understand why they're frustrated because they've had a lot of, you know, they've had a lot of upset and misery at Bloomfield Road in recent years. And they have. And they do want to see the club progress. But, you know, like you said, the, the, the squad's been cut to shreds in the last few weeks. Michael Appleton's been very limited to what he can work with. And would they really be doing that bad if their striker was the joint top scorer in the division? It's an argument, I think. So, you know, they don't want to be in that position. Nobody wants to be inside the drop zone. But they're a point from safety. Let's not get too, you know, too carried away and say that they're going to go down. It's game over, this, that and the other. There's still, you know, a long, long, long way to go. We're, we're not even at the halfway mark yet. I think they'll stay up. I think they'll be fine. They just need that. You reckon? You think they will? I, I think they'll stay up. I think they'll go down. I think they'll stay up. I do. If you put a gun to my head now, think I think they'll stay get relegated. But that's not the I point I'm stay up making. Because I, think I don't think that would be Appleton's in fault. Certainly I think it's cut, not the moment. You know, reduce... We're going to have to fight over this one, then, aren't we? Jerry, sure I mean, you've do. got people like... Oh, time will tell. Time no, will tell, won't it? But how sustainable is Jerry Yates' form? They've been more coming in the gluts. So, we shall see. But, I mean, Charlie Bettino in the middle. He's a cracking player. You know, Gary, Gary Medine's been chipping in a little bit. They've, they've got quality in pockets in that team. They just need to... I think the, the thing that Michael Appleton needs to get to the bottom of is the, is, the, is the discipline issues. That's the problem. They're getting too many red cards than what need to be. And, you know, 
and there is issues that need to be ironed out. But I think overall, I think they'll be okay. I really do. There's a long, long way to go. And, you know, World Cup break possibly has come at the right time for Blackpool, to be fair, allowing them to recover some bodies, you know, try and get to work on the training ground, try and fix one or two issues. When you look at the games coming up after the after the restart, after the uh, after the World Cup, I'm just loading them up now. I mean, you look at it, they've got Birmingham at home, Cardiff away, Hull away. They're games that they could capably win. Yeah, I mean, they could lose them, but they could also win them. So, big period after this break. So, fingers crossed, they'll uh, start, to, start to put things right. But I, I think they'll stay up. I think they'll be okay. Norwich City 1, Middlesbrough 2. The Michael Carrick revolution continues. It's been quite interesting to see the tactical shift, George. They've gone to 4-2-3-1. Juba Ipon's playing as a number 10, which is interesting. They've pushed Isaiah Jones high on the right-hand side rather than playing right wing-back. He's playing as a, an auxiliary winger. Riley McGree on the left, someone we've seen play central midfield. And Hayden Hackney's come in, although he had played a little bit previously. Um, he's coming in alongside Johnny Housen to make a double pivot. A little bit more stability in that midfield now. I have to say, they did ride their luck at times at Norwich and hung on at 1-0. And I think if Norwich had got the second goal, they'd probably go on to win the game. But this is the new resilience that Michael Carrick's bedding into them, particularly on the on the road. They've been very good recently. And what a goal. Absolute screamer. Favourite goal of the weekend from Riley McGree. little half-scissor volley into the top corner from about 20 yards. Fantastic strike. That gets them back level. Bit of, you know, when it's going for you and when you're in decent form, they fly in. When you're, you know, when you're under Chris Wilder, they probably come off the crossbar. I think that's just the way it goes sometimes. And then... Having stayed in the game, it was a lot more open, could have gone either way and great counter-attacking move. And, and there's Matt Crooks off the bench. He'd only come on, I think, in the 89th minute and in the 92nd minute, there he is to turn the ball home to make it 2-1. And that's 10 points from five under Michael Carrick. Could easily have been 12 because I think the Bristol City draw was a game they were dominant in. Yeah, and they are definitely they are improving, improving and, you rapidly. Know, it's and heading it's caught the me by surprise. I must admit, I was a little bit sceptical of of Michael Carrick getting that job because I didn't really know how it was going to go with obviously his inexperience as a manager but so far so good I mean he's won three of his first four away from home and things are looking really promising I mean Norwich have not been in the best of form of late they have been struggling especially at Carrow Road but to have the character and the belief to come from behind and turn that around you know that that takes real guts and, and huge credit to them and Three three wins now away from home on the trot. We beating um, Hull, Blackpool, and now Norwich. That that's really really good going. So for Michael Carrick, like you say, the tactical shift has has paid wonders, and they're scoring goals. They look a threat. They should have beaten Bristol City last weekend at home. They dominated that game for long spells and should have got the job done. And obviously, they only lost that first game at Preston in the last minute to a Jordan Story header. So you know, Michael Carrick on another day, he could quite easily be sat here having, you know, gone unbeaten, having won four of the first five. So things looking really promising for them at the minute. So I think for Borough, I think, you know, the threat of relegation, obviously you can never say never, things can change quickly in this league. But I would like to argue that that threat has certainly disappeared. And all of a sudden now, you know, they're four points off the playoffs. Can you believe it? Who would have thought that three or four weeks ago? So huge credit to Michael Carrick. And, you know, Chubarak Bomb, even though he didn't score at the weekend, he scored four in, I think it's four in his last five now without scoring at the weekend. What a form he's been in. 
He's been an absolute revelation. Ryan McGree with a stunner, Matt Crooks back in the goals. There's just little bits that you can take from it and think, yeah, Michael Carrick is turning things around and Middlesbrough all of a sudden, you know, could they make a playoff charge? Four points at the minute separate Millwall in sixth and and 15th place Sunderland. Four points. That is absolutely balmy. It is balmy at this stage of the season. Nearly halfway halfway point. Nothing. So, for Middlesbrough, I mean, you know, things looking good at the minute. I don't think Michael Carrick will want to get too carried away. I think, even though the form's been good, I think he will probably appreciate the World Cup break. Because I think since he's come in, he's played Saturday, Tuesday relentlessly. So, he will probably appreciate a little bit of time just to, you know, do things on the training ground. And not just that, probably get to know his players as people a little bit more without the uh, the interruption of games every few days. So for Borough, I think it'll be really interesting to see how they, they start up again after the break. So a really good start for Michael Carrick. Excellent away win. On the flip side, though, Norwich, they're really struggling at the minute, even though they're fifth in the league. Yeah. Of a bonkers one, that one. I think probably one we'll probably go into more detail in one of the episodes over we do over the World Cup break. But Dean Smith definitely still under pressure. I do think fine margins in this game though, because I think they created a lot of chances at one nil, and I think if they go two nil, they probably go on and win the game. But that's football. Um, probably the shock result of the weekend, George. Preston North End two, Millwall four. I don't think anyone really saw this one coming. A, a Millwall away win and Preston leaking goals at the back. Not two things that we've been able to talk about much this season. A hat-trick for Zian Fleming, who seems to be improving with every passing game, certainly every passing month uh, in the Championship. He went on that run with 5-5. Five and five. I think he then went 5 without a goal. He then scores a hat-trick. And I really like the second goal in particular, where it's flashed across the face of goal. Brilliant composure to, to control it with his right foot and just take it away from the defender and then lash it left-footed across goal into the corner. Really good finish. I don't know what to make of Millwall. Because I don't think they're a brilliant team. And I was quite hot on them pre-season. But I suppose you can look at it that in another way. As I don't think they're performing well enough to be a top six team right now. But ultimately, they're sixth with a game in hand. And I did I quite like the squad. So that would suggest probably they've got more gears to go up. I, I just find it bonkers that they won the game in hand. They'd be fourth in the division. And that's just... You know, I, I don't think they've been brilliant this season. So I think that probably shows where the division's at, but also that there's more to come and that, that could be an exciting thing for Millwall. So I'm not bashing them. They've obviously won. They've had good moments this season, particularly at home. Um, but yeah, I just I find in fourth downwards in the championship to about 10th really bonkers at the minute. There's just no consistency. Is there? But this was a really good win for Millwall against a pressing side that, oh, again, they, they were in the top six. They've won three in a row um, prior to midweek. So football in it bonkers set of teams from yeah like it's certainly uh, shaping up to be one, I think one of the most just... bonkers scenes we've ever witnessed in this league and that takes some beating to be fair with what we've seen in recent years but it's just the way it's going at the minute nobody seems to be able to put a, a lengthy run of consistent results together certainly positive ones so you know it's kind of a you know it's kind of an open party isn't it anybody who wants to come into this it is a free for all anybody who wants to come into this can have a go and you know if you like it see if you can stay all. there but for millwall i mean you break their numbers down in terms of the statistics around their games and the results and things over the last few weeks have been good i mean they've only lost one in nine they won five in eight 
So, you know, they have been gradually on an upward curve in the last few weeks that may have slightly gone under the radar a little bit. Because I think the thing with Millwall is you always expect them to get a result at home and then away from home they have a tendency to struggle and not win as many games as they would like. But, you know, in the last few weeks we've seen an improvement in that. And, you know, to score four away from home at Preston, who have been in, you know, been on an upward curve, not conceding many goals at all this season. A really, really good result. And obviously inspired by Zian Fleming. Eight goals for him for the season now. So if Gary Rowett can, you know, continue in that sort of vein, he's got a, a really good creating playmaker there. He's chipping in with the goals. Who knows what they could do this season? They genuinely have got just as good a chance as anybody. You're asking me who is cotton that... You're telling Good me that city. nobody can string your results together in a positive fashion. Well, let me introduce you to Coventry City. The run continues. Playoffs, anyone? Anyone booked their hotel for Wembley yet? Um, Victor Gyokurez is playing as well as anyone in the Championship right now. And I now think the biggest hurdle to Coventry getting in the top six is probably January and keeping hold of him. Because if I was a Premier League club, I think, oh, look, there's a footballer that's scoring goals that's Quick in transition, that can play multiple play, play can play multiple positions off the line. He can play off the left, he can play off the right, he can play down the middle. He's strong, he's quick, he can hold the ball up. He looks like his skills are quite translatable to Premier League level. Ooh, this, there's a club that's potentially not got the financial backing to refuse massive offers. I'll chuck some money in. I hope for Coventry's sake that doesn't happen, but. I think he's playing as well. I think he's probably the best player in the championship right now on current form. He's just unplayable at the minute. And the Coventry look brilliant, don't they? Callum O'Hare being back is a massive thing for them. He looks very dangerous at the moment. And the defence has just stopped conceding goals. I'd love to know what happened at the start of the league because they conceded 13 in their first six and they've conceded about one goal since then. So, just bonkers what's gone off there. I'd like to know genuinely, how can you switch from leaking on average two goals a game? It's very similar to what's happened at Leicester in the Premier League. They have all of a sudden showed things up and, you know, look like they're invincible. But, Without a doubt. Mm. And let's just say one thing. I, I think and top you, six I think, is a definite agree. possibility. For I said at the start of the season, this team will not go down. I said it. I was never, ever once concerned about this team. But the clean sheet run is remarkable. The clean, the no, clean the sheet word, run. It's the clean sheets. Yeah, I, I was always convinced. I, was, I wasn't I worried. I didn't think they go down. But team. You had more you faith know, than I me. I saw signs last season of how good they could be. And, you know, you look at the stats now. It's utterly it's ridiculous just how good they've become. But I'm so pleased for them. You know, I'm just going to reel off a couple of stats here with Coventry. Four wins in a row, obviously, without conceding. Seven wins in the last ten. Ten clean sheets in 14 games. They've now equaled their clean sheet tally for the whole of last season already. That That is remarkable. And we're only in mid-November. You know, the turnaround... Jeez. I know the turnaround is absolutely unbelievable. But when you've got players like Gustavo Hamer, Callum O'Hare, Jokerez, you're always going to carry a threat. And Jokerez, I'll say it now, if Sweden had qualified for the World Cup, he wouldn't just be going as part of that squad. I think he'd be starting for them, considering Isak's out injured. Honestly, like you said, the Premier League clubs must be looking at him and thinking, we've got to try and get hold of this guy. But for me, if I was him... I'd stay put. I would stay put. I know, obviously, pound signs might flash if Premier League clubs come calling, but I would stay somewhere where I'm absolutely adored 
and in the form of my life. And, you know, Jokeres last season was excellent. This season he's been terrific. Some stats here on him. Since the start of last season, he's now scoring 23 championship matches, scoring 26 goals in that time. Coventry have won 15 of them, only losing one. That proves how vital he is to them. And, you know, Mark Robbins deserves such credit for, you know, for the journey that Coventry have gone on from where he started when he took that when he took the job at that club. They've worked their way up through the leagues. And, you know, they've, they've spent years at Northampton. They spent years a year at Birmingham. You know, and they've now got, they've still got this, obviously, issues going on in the background with the, the Coventry Building Society arena. Who knows what's going to happen with that situation? But on the pitch right now, for a Coventry supporter, it must just be the absolute dream. And I think, you know, when you consider, obviously, it's excellent the winning games. You know, four in a row in this division is, you know, it's not easy to achieve. But to have done it without conceding a single goal as well, it's that element of it that's making this run all the more impressive. And I'll tell you something, I take my hats off recently to Rotherham and Blackpool for being able to score two against them. They must feel like they achieved the impossible, them guys. So fair play to them. But overall, I mean, you look at the teams Coventry have beaten recently. They beat Sheffield United. Um, they beat Blackburn. They beat Watford. They beat QPR. You know, they've beaten teams who have been at the top and are in the top six at the minute. So it's not as if they're beating, you know, the lower end, lower end strugglers like your Huddersfields, for example. So Mark Robbins, I don't know what the hell's changed. And, you know, it's since we, we had that unfortunate break when the Queen passed away in September, they've been excellent since that point, only losing two games. Prior to that, they'd lost four of their opening five. They, you know, they were in a real, real rut. But whatever's changed, it's unbelievable. So for Mark Robbins, what a job he's doing yet again. And like you said, in this free-for-all race for the playoffs, I would not bet against this team because for me, they, they've I think they've probably got... I don't know, it might be a bit of a bold statement, but I think they've arguably got the best striker in the league. I think Jokerez is certainly in that bracket now. A big fan of him. Big, big fan of him. Certainly on form. I think that's hard to argue against right now. Uh, West Brom 2, Stoke City 0. Another team gathering momentum is the Baggies. Three wins out of three under Carlos Corbrandt. No goals conceded. Nine out of nine. Uh, they're looking... So much more solid. Fair play to him. I, I, I thought based on what we saw at Huddersfield, it might take a little bit of time to get certainly the defensive elements sorted at West Brom because they've been awful. And obviously Huddersfield were awful in their first season defensively under him and then second season, fantastic. Um, it's looked a lot more Huddersfield-like in truth. They've been quite pragmatic in, in some ways. He's brought Kyle Bartley back in from the cold. He, of course, headed in the opener in this one. And then one of the the goals of the weekend, Brandon Thomas Asante. What a what a bicycle kick, if that's probably the right terminology. Uh, pouncing <laughs> on a loose clearance, if you haven't seen it, to you know, bicycle kick it into the back of the net. Basically, it was one of those you weird ones on, that, you, that you hits the bottom of the goal the as well. It wasn't like, like one that flew into the top corner. It sort of went up. It was simply stunning. How All does right. that sound? You describe well, it. Not bothered, but you. It was kind of a bicycle kick as a bicycle kick into the bicycle that, kick net. Well done. That's like when Chris Kamara said he's headed the ball with his head. Well, he would, wouldn't he? <laughs> but anyway, we can both agree it was very impressive. <laughs> All right, I'll give you. That. I'll give. I'll give you that. 
I'll give you that anyway. But yeah, really good goal from Brandon Thomas-Asante. It's not a goal you see every week. Looped over the goalkeeper and into the back of the net. And I think West Brom's starting to click now a little bit. And I think if you were a team in the top half of the table that, you know, probably overachieving to be there, I think you'll see the steam trains yeah, of certainly. Middlesbrough the, the, and you know, after the, obviously West that first Brom game that he had when they lost 2-0 to Sheffield United. He'd, he'd only come in a few days before playing, obviously, a team, you know, towards the top of the table. It was never going to be easy. But since then, what a turnaround. One at, Black, one at home to Blackpool, one at QPR, now beating Huddersfield, uh, beating Huddersfield, Stoke City rather. Out of who? Who do you think will finish higher? That's a difficult one. West Brom or Middlesbrough? But I think I, I, I think West Brom because I think they've got the better individuals I think when they're Brom. at the top of their game. But at the minute, I think both fan, both sets of fans should be very encouraged by the by the recent improvements. But as I say, for West Brom. You know, like Coventry, they've they've suddenly found a, an ability to keep the ball out of the net quite impressively. Three clean sheets in a row to go with three wins. Kyle Bartley is all of a sudden this goal-scoring machine, two in two for him. So, for Carlos Corbran, you know, I think he'll be very pleased with the start. Nine points from the first 12 on offer. And we obviously, we, we, express, we expressed a few little fears that, you know, it might take him a little bit of time like it did at Huddersfield to, to adjust and go in there. I would argue... Well, I wouldn't argue. I'd state for a fact he's got a better crop of players that he's inherited at West Brom. Certainly a better standard at Championship level. Who, you know, as much as Steve Bruce got things wrong, I would argue that, you know, the players let him down as well. They weren't doing enough. So they've obviously been rekindled with fresh ideas from, from Carlos Corbran. And as I said at the time, I thought it was a good, a good appointment. I thought it was smart. So, you know... I, I think they will continue to climb the table. I really do. And probably for them, this break has probably come at the wrong time. But on the flip side of the coin, it will allow Carlos Corbran, similarly to Michael Carrick, the opportunity to, to get to know his players a little bit better without the interruption of games every few days. So it'll work both ways, I think, for West Brom. But, you know, we can only assess what we've seen. And they've won three in a row without conceding. One at QPR, you know, not an easy place to go to. Loftus Road, they've been doing well at home this season, QPR even if their form's dropped off in recent weeks. You know, they've had a they've had a solid start. Nine points from 12. I think Carlos Cobran would have snapped your hand off if he'd been offered that at the start. Couple of 2-1 wins now. Birmingham, they were beaten at home by Sunderland, which is probably, I think, a, a surprise result given the current form of both sides. Sunderland went away to Birmingham, won 2-1 on Friday night. Two very good goals and two very excellently well-taken goals. Ellie Sims with a striker's finish. It very much was the type of goal and finish in particular that a centre-forward scores and they've not had a centre-forward has been well-documented for the last two months. So good to have Sims back in the starting lineup, leading the line, scoring the goal. And I think Sunderland, it was just a reminder of you know how debilitating it can be to not have a striker because... They looked pretty good with one in the team, which, yes, they've had for the last couple of weeks, but I think Sims is now starting to get up to full match fitness when he's been out for, you know, he'd had six weeks on the sidelines, hadn't he? So it's going to take him a little bit of time. And someone else that's really starting to come into form now, George, is Ahmad Diallo. Of course, you'll know plenty about having played, uh, having been on loan from Manchester United, starting to see him play more regularly now. And the goal he scored was, was brilliant and was befitting of, I think, the confidence that he's starting to to gain from the regular appearances. I should say he did very well for the build-up as well to set up Ellis' Sims' goal. And then a lovely finish, cutting inside on that left foot, shifting and manipulating the ball so quickly. 
bending it and you could just see from the the angle it was that it was going in the moment it left his boot and from the away end that sort of angle in the that le- in that top right corner that you have away at Birmingham that would have been a great angle to watch it curl into the far corner really good afternoon for the traveling Sunderland fans of course I, I watched always the majority well of that game on Friday evening on Sunday, Friday night you know they, they did impress me they really did I thought they played really really well and certainly the best I've seen them for quite a while but, you know, Ahmad now starting to see a, a, a consistent tune out of him. Tony Mowbray, probably about five weeks or so ago, I remember doing the story on it for the MEN, saying that he, he kind of urged him to just be a little bit braver in the final third, take one or two more risks. And, and we're seeing that now. And he's, he's obviously, he's come in, you know, as a natural right-sided winger, but he's had to play in as a makeshift striker, such as the problems they've had with, obviously, Ross Stewart and Ellis Sims, who obviously is back now and, you know, he's at the cover for them. But, you know, he's, his record is looking good at the minute. He's three goals in his last five. He's got an assist, obviously, on Friday night as well. And, you know, Man United have paid a hell of a lot of money for this young man. A hell of a lot of money. It was about £37 million, I think. So, you know, Sunderland have got a, a really expensive footballer on the hands. He's only 20 years of age. He went on loan to Rangers in Scotland last season for the second half of the year and struggled. Didn't really get much game time. And I always thought the Championship, you know, it's a better standard to the Scottish Premiership by a long, long way. Give him a chance. See what he can do in the Championship. And, you know, after a bit of a slow start, we're now starting to see what he can do. And his assist was was impressive on Friday night. And his goal was absolutely superb. There's no doubt about it. So you can see that there's certainly a very exciting young player in there. And it makes you wonder, had the Ivory Coast qualified for the World Cup? Had, the, had he, have, you know, got into that squad? Well, obviously... Obviously, now that we won't know because obviously they're not going, but he has already played three times for his country. So they certainly think something of him. And Sunderland's fans are certainly beginning to think something of him. That's for sure. They're really starting to take him to heart. So on that angle, it's it's really impressive. But for Tony Mowbray, I think, you know, he'll be pleased with the way things have slowly improved in recent weeks after a bit of a blip. You know, they've, they've only lost one of the last four. They've, they've won back-to-back away games. Now they're unbeaten in three on the road. So things are slowly starting to pick up and it's no surprise that now they've got Ellis Sims, a striker back. You know, if you take your best strikers out of your team, you're going to struggle. There's no doubt about that. So I think Sunderland overall for the, you know, obviously newly promoted, I think they can be pleased with the start they've had to the season. I think they're they're in a respectable position, currently finding themselves in 15th. They're only, you know, they're only four points off the top six. So they can't grumble at that at all, the Sunderland fans. I think they'll be very, very pleased with the way things have gone. And, you know, once Ross Stewart's back, that they should only continue to improve. So for Sunderland, you know, a, a respectable start for what you would expect for a newly promoted team. Yeah, absolutely. So. And um, certainly I think more to come from the Sunderland team. I think the break will do them good. Get well, Ross Stewart get, get, again. Get, um, get, get in the fever, mate. In your you know. this week. Got to, got to get excited for it, for even if it is an odd time of year and where it is. Still got to, you know, try and at least get up for it. Reading, they beat Hull City 2-1. Probably a little bit of a smash and grab win, it has to be said, for Reading. But good for them to get a victory, given their recent form. Um, they got the equaliser through Yaku Mate and then Andy Carroll's bullet header diverted in by Ryan Longman for an own goal. I thought it was very funny how just the way it was like set up. If you'd never watched football before and you were watching the um, the highlights package, you just knew that Andy Carroll was going to head the ball and it was going to end in the, up in the back of the net one way, or the, one way or the other. It was very scripted. 
Um, lots of, I think, lots of. I think it's a good time to reflect on Reading and say, yeah, recent form's not been great, but I think a lot of fans would have taken 12th at this point in the season. So credit where it's due and to Paul Ince as well. Not the result Liam Rossini would have wanted, of course, in his first game as Hull City manager at home. But equally, I think they probably definitely, well, I think they deserve something from the game. And I think Paul Ince pretty much said as much after the game. But good win for Reading. Stops the rot a little bit. And oh, definitely. I mean, you know, what it was a smash and grab. It wasn't the most now, prettiest so. of wins they're ever likely to record, but it's ensured that they go into the break with a bit of a spring in their step, hasn't it? It's always, you know, you can always talk about whether it's come at the right time or the wrong time, but it's always better to go into a pause like this off the back of a win rather than a defeat. And obviously, Reading have got that. I mean, you know, I, I openly said it at the start of the season that I felt Paul Lynch would be the first championship manager to get the boot. Christ knows how many have got the boot before him. I dread to imagine. I can't even keep count. I know. No, nothing. But to be fair, didn't you put West Brom to win the league? Yeah, what do you know? Well, point proven. It was me that put nope. West Brom to finish top. So, yeah, kind of made myself still look an idiot. But there we go. We were both idiots. We can agree on that one. We were both got that very wrong. Well, you know, they're both improving. We might still be right. But no, um, you know, and for Reading, after what all they went through last season, 12th in the league, couple of points of the playoffs, nearly the halfway mark. That, that's more than acceptable for what their fans would have thought, you know. They, they were probably fearing the worst this season. The squad, you know, it's it's got quite a few ageing players in it, shall we say. But what obviously they may, be, they may be ageing, but they bring plenty of experience. And that's what Andy Carroll's brought to the table since he's returned. Tom Ince has been excellent. You know, Shane Long's had dribs and drabs of, of you know, showing what he can still do. So, I think for Reading, 12th place, their fans are probably absolutely living the dream for what they expected. Go on. For me, I'm going to say no. I don't think it was. You know, I've seen them given in terms of the red card being brandished, but I, I think the referee got that one right, to be fair. We agree on something. Miracle. Miracle. Me too. Cardiff City, Neil Sheffield... I know, who would have thought? Uh, first time for everything. And then finally, Cardiff City, Neil Sheffield United won. Uh, Blades back to winning ways, and of course this moved them top uh, for 24 hours before Burnley beat Blackburn and then reasserted their place at the summit. So second place for Sheffield United going into the break. George Baldock's goal proving decisive. I mean, Ryan Alsop's just got to save it, hasn't he? Let's be fair, it's a bad goalkeeping error at the near post to get beaten. Um, Sheffield United still dealing with injuries Jack Robinson went off injured so that's another one to add to the list and with uh, Sander Burge John Fleck and Tommy Doyle all out there was a start for Oliver Arblaster in central midfield the 18 year old from the academies been in and around the first team squad this season on the bench plenty of times come off um, but a start for him he did come off at half time but um, acquitted himself well by all, all accounts and James McAtee then came on who's still trying to find his way as well and he was quite influential off the bench and gave them a lot more thrust in the final third in that second half. So one of them really you know, scrappy away wins that you don't remember if you get promoted at the end of the season, which of course, Sheffield United are well-placed to do after 21 matches. There was three draws in the Championship, George. Luton Town won, Rotherham United won. But of course, the bigger talking point with Luton this week has been the exit of Nathan Jones for the second time. This time he's off to Premier League Southampton. What do you think? Who should they get in? And um, I, think, I mean, it's fair enough, isn't it? Let's be fair. I know it went badly at Stoke, but can't turn down 
Premier League job, Rotherham at home or Liverpool away, with the greatest respect in the world. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, it's not every day that an opportunity to manage in the Premier League comes along. And, you, you know, for Nathan Jones, it's it's one that he's, you know, probably not going to possibly get again. You never know how things go. But I take my hat off to him for, for being brave enough to give it a go. You know, he's he's done very, very well at Luton. He's done a magnificent job there. And I'll be honest with you, I still think he'll end up back at Luton. I really do. It just seems to be one of those managerial bonds where manager and club just seems to work so, so well. I wish him well at Southampton. I hope it does work. It makes a pleasant change for a Premier League club, you know, these days to go for a British manager from the lower league. It's not all the time that we see that. So it's good to see the championship being recognised. And for Nathan Jones, it's a big opportunity. It caught me by surprise, I must admit. I really didn't think Southampton had head down that route. So fair play to them for that. Personally, though, I, I just don't think it'll work. I don't know why. I've just got a sneaky feeling it might be, you know, kind of thinking about what happened at Stoke, but it's a completely different situation. It's a whole different ball game. He's obviously got the objective of keeping them in the Premier League and, and then build from there from next season. Just going to be very interesting to see how it works, but for Luton, it's a huge loss. It's, it really is. It's a massive loss. They achieved so much together. Obviously, last season came so close to achieving the ultimate dream that, you know, would not have even been considered as, you know, a possibility not all that long ago, but... Fair play to him for what he's doing. Obviously, Mick Harford picked up the baton on, on Saturday against Rotherham. Didn't get off to the best of starts. Obviously, going behind within a minute. Brilliant goal from Jamie Lindsay as well, it must be said. Terrific strike from him. Uh, and then, obviously, they uh, they found an equaliser right at the death. But, you know, for the for, for Luton, in terms of Southampton's timing to pinch Nathan Jones, it couldn't have been a better time for it to have happened with the World Cup break being here. If they can try and get something sorted quickly. I'm just going to say Neil Critchley is the Neil Critchley is the Neil name, Critchley, isn't it? That everybody's going to everybody can talk about. I think any job in the championship, you know, that he's going to come up until he's poached by somebody, he's going to be in the running for. And now we've got Neil Critchley. We've had Chris Ewan. We had Chris we have, Wilder. It's, it's like in the, an evolving had, we had situation. Sean Dyke, but and he, now we've got Neil. Critchley. He's the best option, I think, for anybody. You know, he proved himself at Blackpool. I think so. I think so. But there are other managers on the market. I've seen that Stephen Robinson has been heavily linked with it. Yeah, it's a fair few, to be fair. When you look at the betting odds, some of them, though, are more more questionable than others. But, you know, I think Neil Critchley would fit the bill. Tony Pulis is a 40 to 1. If you fancy a punt on that, Luton fans, I doubt very much, would want that to happen. But other names mentioned, I mean, Rob Edwards, you know, managed Watford. Rivalry there, but I think they'd be uh, willing. Rob Edwards is becoming the new be... um, uh, Alan Kerbish, though. Well, he's currently 8-1 to one on this. He's been Just hard. every betting um, list on it. Mark, like Mark Bonner, one. Cambridge. You know, obviously Rotherham really wanted him. He's done a decent job there. Ooh. Yeah, they probably could. Obviously, Chris Wilder. Doubt it very much, but he's on the list. And another one that seems to be coming up for everyone is Duncan Ferguson. I really don't understand why his name seems to be banded about all the time. But... But there you go. But I think, you know, I think Luton fans, Wigan fans are probably going to be fighting over Neil Critchley, you know, as the the most obvious, probably attractive option available without a club at the minute. So for Luton, I think it's a sad way for them to have lost Nathan Jones, but you can't begrudge him the opportunity to go and manage in the Premier League. You know, it's not an opportunity that comes around every day, is it? So we'll see how he goes on. Uh, I hope it works out for him because I think he's earned the chance for all the good work he's done at Luton. 
But I think everybody's going to be mindful of what happened when he went to Stoke and let's just see if he can prove himself not to be a one-club manager. Indeed. Two other draws, two nil-nils. Bristol City nil, Watford nil. Um, I don't know. Brilliant performance <laughs> from Daniel Backman in the Watford goal. How are Watford fourth? Found a way, haven't they, recently? Have they played well this season? Like They should have lost this game, but they've certainly picked up a little I, bit in terms of I don't of know how Watford are fourth. I don't understand this. I don't understand this division. South and Yorkshire. then Huddersfield nil, Swansea nil, which was a game that happened in South Yorkshire. and that's about It was it. that bad. He's forgotten where it was. Not South Yorkshire. Dear me. I'm from Yorkshire. How did I know that? West Yorkshire. Sorry. Not South Yorkshire. Um, yeah, not a great game at the uh, not a great game at the John Smith Stadium, that's for sure. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed in the, your podcast feed, wherever you get your podcast from, to make sure you get the latest episode every single week. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A huge thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out. World Cup content-wise, obviously there's no championship for the next month. I'm sure we'll have a couple of reflective pods, maybe a team of the half season, something like that. So make sure you're subscribed and follow us on socials and you'll get a full breakdown of what we're planning over the World Cup break as the football comes to a a halt in the championship. Uh, And obviously we'll be enjoying the, the World Cup as well. If, uh, if you can, given all the, uh, the controversy around it, of course. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.